You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So let's now go over to scripture reading. Uh, the text is from the Song of Songs, and we read from chapter 1 through to chapter 2, verse 7. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful are women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare, harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Angadai. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelle and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so (coughs) desires. Brothers and sisters, both younger and older, the theme of the sermon is the gospel about a love relationship between two gods of God's children who, point one, rejoice in each other, also with their bodies. Point two, do not awaken love contrary to to what pleases the Lord. The first verse of this book reads Solomon's Song of Songs. Because of this, many simply take it that King Solomon is the author of this book. However, the original Hebrew does not necessarily say this. The Hebrew word that is used to express the relationship between Solomon and the Song of Songs in itself doesn't say anything more 
than that there is some kind of relation between Solomon and the Song of Songs. You will find similar instances of the same Hebrew word in the book of Psalms. Let me give just one example. Psalm 11 starts with the words, For the director of music, of, no, sorry, For the director of music of David. The words translated by for and of have the same Hebrew word. Thus, we could also translate of the director of music for David. David might well be the author of this psalm, yet in itself it doesn't say anything more than that we should think of David when reading this psalm. Hence, the first verse of the book Song of Songs does not necessarily say that King Solomon is the author. There are also other arguments against Solomon's authorship of this book. I think of chapter 8, verse 12, for example, where it reads, But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, and two hundreds for those who tend its fruit. And there are more of those verses in this book. This brings us to the question, what then is the relationship between Solomon and this book? He is not the author, and most likely not the main character either. Seeing the detached way King Solomon is at times spoken about in this book. Because of this, some commentaries consider the reference to King Solomon with his many wives as a word picture contrasting with the pure love between the young shepherd and Shulamite. The difficulty with this interpretation is that elsewhere in Scripture, we do not find this negative picture of King Solomon. True, Scripture does not hide these specifics, sins of King Solomon. Yet in Scripture as a whole, the main reference to Solomon's kingship is always a positive one, giving a foretaste of the messianic kingship which was to come. Well, the Song of Songs gives us a glance of what life is like in Christ also in the relationship between boyfriend and girlfriend, or husband and wife. In and through Christ, we are able to fight against wrong sexual desires. And that's what this book will teach us. This brings us to the Christological character of the book. At times, the question is raised whether this book isn't simply a love song about two covenant children who rejoice in each other. But where then does the gospel of Christ come in when it comes to this book of the Bible? There is a very simple answer to this question. Also in this book, Christ is present as our Redeemer. After all, Christ came to redeem not only our soul, but he also came to redeem our body. He came to redeem our life from its futility and decay. He came to redeem us not only from sin but also from the stain of sin, the stain and filthiness as we see it today, specifically in all kinds of sexual sins and broken relationships. Our redemption in Christ embraces our whole life, also our sexual life. When two people fall in love with each other, how can they keep their relation pure? Only in and through Christ. How can we, as husband and wife, live holy marriages only in and through Christ? How can we also, as single persons, live sexually holy lives 
only in and through Christ, who not only forgives us our sins by his blood, but also wants to renew us by his spirit. Christ is the source of all enjoyment, also when it comes to enjoying love relationship. If as boyfriend and girlfriend, as husband and wife, or as single people, we leave Christ out of the picture, soon it all becomes stained with sin. That's what the Song of Songs will teach us. And that's the gospel I may proclaim to you also this morning when focusing on the first passage of this wonderful book. Yes, the Song of Songs is indeed a wonderful book, which from beginning to end is filled with a desire, a passion, as only two lovers know it. But then two lovers who also want to serve the Lord, even in their passion for each other. The first chapter of this book starts with introducing the two main characters. First, we meet the girl, deeply in love, longing to be kissed by her lover. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. In these kisses, she tastes the love of her boyfriend, love better than wine. A couple truly in love with each other will be able to identify with the longing of this girl. This longing, when shared only with the one you truly love, is a wonderful gift of God. Blossoming love between two youngsters who in their love towards one another also seek the Lord, it's indeed something beautiful God has created. Because it's so beautiful, we should not play around with it, but indeed save it only for the one we truly love and want to share life with. Hence, as far as the couple we meet in this book, we should think of them as a couple being already engaged. It has nothing to do with the flirting we meet in today's society. The ground on which we stand in this book is, so to speak, too holy of such a flirtatious love. In the verses 5 and following, the girl tells a bit more about herself. She's not a model walking the catwalk who always has to be concerned about her outward appearance. This girl had simply no time to stand always in front of the mirror. As a, as a country girl, she had to work hard in the vineyard of her brothers. And therefore, she had become dark, tanned by the sun. Yet she was not ashamed of this. Even though the daughters of Jerusalem, that is the girls from the city who lived in the king's citadel, may have looked down on her because of her tan. After all, in those days, being tanned was not popular. It was regarded as plain. It made you a country girl who did not know anything about how to look beautiful. Yet this girl doesn't mind. She's not bowed down by peer pressure to look just like others. She is simply herself rejoicing in what the Lord has given her. In all this is surely a lesson, especially for our younger people. How much peer pressure is there today, even at our schools, at our own schools, to look cool, to be attractive in the eyes of the opposite sex, to wear the latest fashion, to flirt even through the way we dress? Young people, remember the most important thing in life is not what others may say about you, but what the Lord will say about you. In the library of my study, I have a book about peer pressure called When People Are Big and God is Small. It deals with our human fear, what people may say. And so we want to be cool. We go for the fashion of this world. 
Yet, young people, more important is what does the Lord say? In particular, when it comes to the standard of dress and in our contact with the opposite sex. We should remember that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Hence, our first priority should be to live holy before God. Does that make life boring? Listening to the uh, girl in the Song of Songs, life was surely not boring. She rejoices in the wonderful gift of love. Never mind that the daughters of Jerusalem looked down on her. This did not worry her. She had eyes only for the one she loved. She knew true love, love better than wine. Next, we read something more about the boy whom this girl loves. We hear her say in chapter 1, verse 7, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock, and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? From this verse, we learn that the boyfriend, fiancé of this girl, was tending the flock somewhere out in the fields. She wants to meet him. Yet at the same time, she doesn't want to be found wandering around in the fields accidentally meeting with some of the companions of her boyfriend and thus giving the wrong impression. She doesn't want to be out there to impress others, flirting. She wants to keep her love pure, also in this stage. In verse 8, we once again hear the degrading comments of the daughters of Jerusalem. Is this your fiancé, just a shepherd, who has nothing to show for? Yet it shows that also in those days there was friction between the people living in the city and those living out in the country. Those who lived in the city looked down upon those who lived in the country, like this girl and her fiancé. They weren't really in tune with the latest fashion, and what those city girls thought was important. Country girls were looked down upon as being backward, too plain, surely not cool. Thus, those girls from the city could not understand that this young country girl could be so happy with a simple shepherd boy. Yet the point is, they did not understand what true and pure love was all about. The verses following verse 8 speak about this pure love. A boy rejoicing in the love of his, his heart, his girl. Look how beautiful she is, verse 9 and 10. I, like, I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. What is the meaning of these words? Well, like a mare in a high-spirited ways, throws her head backwards, so does this girl show her earrings and the string of jewels around her neck. Thus, her boyfriend delights in her beauty, the beauty also of her body. Is this wrong? No, as long as it happens in a pure way. We also show ornaments that emphasize her she also shows ornaments that emphasize her beauty. There's nothing wrong with this either. A necklace, some perfume for that special occasion, one can truly rejoice in it. The point is, these ornaments should not become an obsession, as we see it nowadays, where at times also church members simply try to stay in tune with the fashion of the world without any modesty. I may refer here to what the prophet Isaiah says about the daughters of Jerusalem in his day. Isaiah 3, verse 16. I'll read it for you. The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, 
flirting with their eyes, tripping along with mincing steps, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. These women lived, lived for their clothing and their, orna- and their ornaments rather than for God. They dressed to be noticed, to gain approval, and to be fashionable. Instead of being concerned about the oppression around them that was going on at that time in Israel, they lived a self-centered life. Yet what we read here in the Song of Songs is different. Scripture surely does not condemn all wearing of ornaments. The point is, where do we live for? Even when delighting in outward beauty, we still should remember what the Apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, these words do not condemn all outward adornment, but it warns against being totally preoccupied with it. In the next verses, we find the two together, rejoicing in each other's presence. In poetic form, they speak about the beauty of each other's body. They have eyes only for each other. He looks at her. How beautiful are you, my darling? Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. She looks at him. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. In chapter 2, we read, They are faint with love. They long for each other, also bodily. At the same time, they don't want to develop an intimate relationship merely on the basis of their strong feelings. We find here two of God's people who are fighting these temptations and find their strength in the Lord. We find here a couple that knows our feelings for, for one another, including our sexual feelings, should be motivated by love and commitment and not by lust. Hence chapter 2 and 7, verse 7, which is a refrain verse throughout this book, and which brings us to the second point of this sermon. The couple we meet in the text chosen for this sermon speaks openly about their longing for each other, rejoicing in the beauty also of each other's body. They let each other know how much they love the other. They are faint with love, chapter 2, verse 5. This is the love we read about in chapter 8, verse 6b. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Yet the fire is set aflame by the Lord himself, who inspired this Bible book. In other words, there's nothing wrong with this blossoming love. They may enjoy it, enjoy it in the Lord, and as a wonderful gift of God. That's what we learned from the first point. What Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4, verse 4 and 5, also applies to this blossoming and wonderful love between two believers. It says there, For everything that God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Yet this couple is only engaged. Although destined for each other, they are not yet married. They don't want to take advantage of each other's longing in a way that would displease the Lord. Well, that brings us to chapter 2, verse 7. I just referred to, where the girl makes the following oath. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelle and by the doze of the field, do not arouse or awaken love 
until it so desires. She swears by the gazelle or the does of the field. You could say she swears by all that is graceful and pleasant, not to do what would displease the Lord. It's God himself who gives husband and wife to each other in his time. As engaged couples, we should wait for this and not take what belongs to marriage. This also means avoid situations by being too much together without others being present. Know your own weaknesses. Pray together so that you may be able to withstand temptations. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases, that is, until it pleases, is pleasing to the Lord. Realize what true love is all about. In 1 Corinthians 13 we read that true love does not seek its own, but is patient and kind. The daughters of Jerusalem, the girls in the city, did not bother about this true love. They were daily busy to awaken this love by their pretty faces and fashionable clothing. In a similar way as we see it in today's society. Young people, pray to the Lord that he will you, that he will give you the strength to live a different lifestyle. To show also in the way you dress and in your contacts with the opposite sex that you want to be a child of the Lord and therefore want to act differently. I realize that this is not easy. Today's society puts a lot of pressure on our young people, and not on our young people only. As parents, we have a task here. How do we speak about sexual matters with our children? As far as TV and movies movies are concerned, what do we watch? At times, it would be better to turn the TV off and to open God's Word, read together with your teenage children a book like the Song of Songs, and speak openly with them, without shame, about the beautiful gift of love. Talk about sexual intimacy without any embarrassment and point out how wonderfully God created all this, a gift to be enjoyed, yet within the protecting walls of marriage only. Therefore, my son, my daughter, do not stir up nor awaken love until it is pleasing to the Lord. And what then when things have already gone wrong? Beloved, remember, whether we are young or old, as God's children, we may kneel down before the Lord, knowing that in Christ there is restoration, also of relationships that encounter difficulties or when sin has occurred. Wherever this is the case, beloved, turn back to this pure beginning. In Christ we may make a new start every day, as long as there is true repentance. This applies to couples who could not withstand the temptation, but also to those who are married. After all, even when we are married, our love for one another should never be ruled by lust, but instead by caring for each other with a love that does not seek its own, but always the other first. Also when it comes to sexual intimacy, Those who are single may wonder, what has all this to do with us? Well, let me say this. As God's children, whether courting, married, or single, we all have to live holy lives. Moreover, not all marry at the same age. At times, we may long for a relationship, even to the point of accepting an unbeliever as a partner in marriage. 
Yet, that's not the answer. Also, he replies, do not stir up nor awaken love until it is pleasing to the Lord. That is, wait for God's time. And even when in his wisdom, God does not give you a partner, look on high and warm yourself in God's love. That love never fails. That's why a true love relationship can only flourish when it is embedded in mutual love towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the main lesson we may learn from the Song of Songs. In conclusion, whether still dating or already engaged or married, or when single, the Lord asks all of us to live holy lives to His glory. When we do so, the Lord's grace will be sufficient to carry us every day, also through difficult times. It is sufficient for each and every one of us. Sufficient for engaged couples that struggle with temptations. Sufficient in marriages when love has grown cold. Sufficient in the lives of single people who struggle with not having found a partner. And God's grace is also sufficient for the person struggling with an attraction to the same sex. We all face our own struggles when it comes to our sexuality. Yet when in these struggles we cling to the Lord, we will experience that God, with his love, is always near. Moreover, where human love often fails or falls short, beloved, God's love never fails. To that promise we may cling, all of us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.